Welcome to Constitutional Futures, a podcast series from Queen's University Belfast examining constitutional debates on this island and these islands. I'm Professor Colin Harvey from the School of Law at Queen's and Director of the Human Rights Centre. Delighted to be joined today by Sipo Sibanda. Thank you for being here today, Sipo. Sipo is currently the Vice Chair of the Black and Minority Ethnic Women's Network, which works to enhance knowledge and awareness of gender and racial equality issues for BMA women in Northern Ireland. Sipo has the experience of standing for election for people before profit, and she has worked with Participation and Practice of Rights, PPR, mm-hmm. and SCI, which is Social Change Initiative. She's been a fellow there with the Social Change Initiative. I could say much, much more, but as evident from the introduction, as she's a leading activist for equality and human rights here, with really extensive practical experience of working for social change and working for human rights and equality. So I really want to start by getting a sense, Sipo, what your motivation is, how you got involved in this work. So what motivated your, your own work in activism and how would you relate it to the conversation we're having today about possible constitutional futures? Thank you, Colin. Um, <laughs> just you reading everything about me there. It sounds like you're reading about somebody else, but <laughs> it's good. Just listing them and listening to all of that, and I'm thinking, oh wow, did, have I really achieved that much? Sometimes you just keep going and you keep going, and you Absolutely. don't realize. Um, yeah, what motivated it? I think for me, it um, it was the human rights aspect. Um, I am one person. When I learned that I had human rights, um, I think um, Northern Ireland is a first world country, and when I came here in 2015. Um, I learned that I had human rights and I could use human rights as a tool for um, issues that affected me at the time. And I used to volunteer with PPR at that time and ended up working with PPR, which is Participation and Practice of Rights, of course. Um, When I learned all that, I just thought, you know what, (laughs) this is something I can use even in future. It was something that everybody can base it, all things necessary for a human being you know it's human rights and I just wanted to learn more and um, everything I do when it comes to um, just my day-to-day I I base things on human rights if it's accommodation if it's whatever else that you can think of and equality you know those things I think if we're talking about equality and human rights those are things that I'm passionate about. Those are issues that I'm passionate about and I believe um, everybody deserves equality. So um, that's where my work is really based and that's where um, it all started, I suppose. (laughs) One of the things, particularly post-Brexit, has been a lot of discussion in Northern Ireland and often Northern Ireland politics is is dominated by constitutional questions, but certainly post-Brexit it's been become a sort of major topic of debate really a week goes by without commentary on this you know what's your sense of why why that's happening why are people talking more about these different constitutional futures um colin i believe it, it, it is the need for this for human rights to be addressed 
um, see, there's loads of rights, you know, for uh, basic rights for people to actually survive. You know, we're talking issues of housing, um, food, and uh, right now we're talking about food poverty. Um, we're talking about heating and, e and eating. All those things are... Uh, they all pertain basic rights. We all need them um, to sustain us as people. And um, it feels like every day people have to ascertain their spaces and actually speak about their rights because it feels like somebody's not listening somewhere and somebody else's rights are more important than the next person. And there's a need for everybody else to say, listen, I'm here in the corner. You know, I also am in need. Um, I don't know if there's a scarcity of, of resources that um, makes it feel like we all need to actually fight for this pie. We all want a piece of this pie. But some people, of course, are getting bigger pieces of the, of the pie. And those getting the crumbs are crying out to say, listen, here, um, we being miss we, we, we're missing out. Um, I believe this is why there's loads of those conversations um, at the minute. And that's where we are. Sort of concern about rights, really, that, that are motivating a lot of these discussions? Do you know what? Um, I know people keep talking about the constitutional question and the constitutional this and that and make it sound complicated. To me, when I just look at it from a human rights perspective, it's really about basic rights for people. You know, if you're going to talk about um, the constitutional person to an ordinary person walking on the street, they have no idea what you're talking about. But if you talk talk to a person about childcare or talk to them about um, the cost of living, you know, people understand. It's it's everyday conversations, everyday bread and butter issues, if I may say, you know. So if you talk to the ordinary person on the streets about these issues that pertain, you know, issues that really are kind of tailor-made for them instead of, you know, coating it in these big words. It is what it is, you know, down, if you break it down to, this, to, to, to a conversation that's understandable, that's what it is, that's how I look at it. So, you know, connected to those discussions, you'll know that next year there are a lot of people talking about the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement mm -hmm. and where we are and what that means for... The constitutional future and some of the rights discussions that we're talking about you know what do you sense those references to the agreement mean and you know what's the importance of the agreement to the things that we're talking about today well i think people need to take a step back and kind of remind themselves or maybe we need to remind ourselves because i need to be included in this um sometimes i forget you know when we talk about uh, um, I, I always say to people, we always talking about the green and um, green and orange. But guess what? There's I don't know if you want to add black into it, <laughs> but um, there is the other community which is part of this community. Um, the way I understand the Good Friday Agreement, it was about power sharing and um, trying to live together. You know, in a society that accommodates everyone. I think if, if if we all look and remember that in everything that we do um, to try and just accommodate each other in our differences, um, nobody should try and change the other person to be what they want or try and um, try and, 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 and make light of somebody else's differences, if I'm making any sense. Um, I just believe if we focus on the, the good things about the Good Friday Agreement and 
the fact that it was actually meant to be a power sharing agreement you know it was about power sharing and whether it would be um power sharing towards an, a beautiful all island as it's being um said um it should be about ensuring that everybody is living happily i mean in our beautiful city in our beautiful country that's how i see it so in terms of thinking about you know, we talked about your role as you know, a civil society activist in, in these conversations. Mm-hmm. You know, should civil society be doing more? Is it doing enough? And I suppose one question I'm interested in is whether there's a nervousness in the community and voluntary sector in that civic space about entering some of these more contested constitutional discussions. Yeah, I think there is a nervousness, um, Colin. Um, first of all, I think... Um, Going back to a statement I made earlier about um, ensuring that there's enough for all. There is enough for all. And um, we need to ensure that everybody feels that way, you know, feels that this place will accommodate everybody. But I think in as much as all those conversations are happening, um, I see very little um, in all those conversations that accommodates ethnic minorities. Um, I think I've been, been I've been invited once or twice to a conversation about a shared island or um, a, 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 our future as um, you know a shared island. Um, these conversations should be, I, I believe, they should involve ethnic minorities. We are part of this island. We are not going anywhere. And in as much as people are still trying to understand what this shared island is going to because to be, um, I believe this um, the the unknown is what makes people afraid. As you, it's human nature, you know, when we don't know something, we would like to future proof things, and if we cannot future proof things, we we become afraid. And I think. Um, the nervousness is around the unknown and also about um, some people might have selfish um, ideas, you know, that will benefit them instead of benefiting all of us. So everybody's aware of this, that there is the selfishness. But if we can all work towards a shared island, which is what it is, it should be shared. It should be an island for all of us as it is right now, of course. Um, I believe if we work around that and everybody else, um, even the serv- civil service, civil servants work around that and consider that in whatever decisions they take, I think it'll be brilliant. We will all kind of get over the nervousness somehow. <laughs> <laughs> You've really raised a, a vital point there about participation uh-huh. and inclusion. I mm-hmm. suppose the question would be how... how do these conversations become more inclusive? You know, mm-hmm. what? W- how do we ensure that you know there is actually inclusive participation? Um, I think we've been talking about inclusivity for a while now. We have in, in different spaces, of course, not just your space right now, but um, as somebody from the ethnic minorities, we've been talking about um, representation and participation and wanting to be included in these conversations. But I think um, sometimes I feel like it's falling on deaf ears and sometimes I feel people just blatantly ignore it, ignore us. And uh, sometimes there's people that actually do open up their spaces and say, uh, OK, uh, let's do this. But I think as long as these spaces are not being intentionally created, 
it has to be intentional. As long as they're not being intentionally created, I don't think it's going to happen. Um, I was actually watching a clip, a clip yesterday um, from uh, the... I can't remember one of the past prime ministers, you know, a while ago, um, where he was talking about. Uh, I'm going to credit the Tories here. I can't believe I'm about to do that. Um, he was talking about um, the cabinet that um, was coming up, and he was talking about the Rishis and um, um, the 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 Suellers. I think they were still young in the Tory cabinet at the time. I think they intentionally did that, you know, and he literally said. One day we will have an ethnic minority for a prime minister. Guess what? It happened yesterday. And one would look at that and think, oh, my God, this man was uh, prophesying what was going on. But it was, I think it was intentional for the Tories to actually do that. Um, we need to do that as a society, to intentionally create the spaces that include everybody. You know, I think Northern Ireland has a history of excluding other people and othering, you know, um, we need to move away from that type of mentality and actually include people and ensure that there's an extra space at the table for somebody who's different from from what we look like. And that's the way forward. So th that really links very neatly onto the, the next question, which is around discussions of people's assemblies or citizens assemblies or, you know, deliberative forums to do the thinking around all this do you think it would be useful to have something on an all-island basis citizens assembly people's assembly to discuss all this absolutely um i think it is important first of all i think we need to remember that um if we look back to the census the recent census it tells you a story you know it tells you um if, if you ignore the fact that um the four percent that's spoken about on the census of, of ethnic minorities and people that speak different languages that just tells you of a proportion of our uh, our our citizens of our uh, of the number of people in Northern Ireland that are different from what Northern Ireland would have been used to. So, um, I think a citizens assembly would be brilliant because it will kind of zone into smaller groups and bring smaller groups. Um, give the smaller groups voices. I mean, we're a very big country. We're not very big, but we are big. But if we give people voices in small little corners and those corners all come together, you know, I, I literally can picture it. You know, it's like a network of little spaces where people actually bring out their voices. Somebody brings out voices from another group and all of that. At the end of the day, we'll get more out of that and we're not leaving people out. Um, and um, that way... We can we, we can't really say or should I say nobody can come out and say I have been left out you know because there is some kind of representation from all communities. I suppose that that also raises the question around so the, around inclusion, but also questions linked to the earlier discussion about human rights and equality mm -hmm. and how we make sure some of those values are included. You know, is there a risk that equality and human rights will get neglected in some of these debates? There is a risk, yeah. but at the same time, I believe there's a lot of people fighting for <laughs> that yeah. does not happen. Yeah. Um, I believe if people like you and I continue to talk about these issues at the end of the day, um, and we continue to talk about people's human rights, and if we base a lot of things on human rights, we can't go wrong. 
you know, um, if we really look at a rights-based approach, we cannot go wrong because at the end of the day, it's just sustainable that way. So I believe um, that is the way forward. And um, if we, 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 it will be inclusive enough for everybody. In terms of a rights-based approach, how do you see that? You know, how would you describe a rights-based approach to some of these constitutional questions? Um, I think I mentioned earlier, housing is important. Um, We ensure that everybody has accommodation that is suitable. Um, I know that we have waiting lists. We have people that have been on waiting lists for a very long time. Um, That needs to be looked into. We need to build more housing. I know that, um, you know, the Department of Communities has been approached by so many groups out there with proposals of building more accommodation that um, is inclusive, you know, accommodation that actually allows for everybody to live together because we cannot continue being a divided society. We can't have that. Um, We should be able to build a society for our children where there is no green and orange. You know, I'm not saying people's cultures should be ignored. No, not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is I should be able to live with the next person and um, respect their culture, respect their identity, and they do the same with me. Uh, I am talking about um, not just housing, um, immigration issues. I know um, when we start talking about immigration, people get nervous and they, they... just go oh it's a Westminster thing it might be Westminster but if we're talking about health if we're talking about uh, accommodation if we're talking about a lot of other issues um, schools you know our children go to schools um, children of migrants go to schools these are issues that we have um, we have control we the 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 devolved you know we've got some kind of control in them we shouldn't be um, I, I think those at the top should not be quick to just, you know, um, exclude issues just because it's under the umbrella of immigration. You know, you should be able to bring it down to a place where you can help the next person. You know, um, there's a lot of things that can be done under, um, you know, the umbrella of immigration. But if you bring it down to a local level, because... Yes, immigration might be devolved, but guess where all these migrants live? In Northern Ireland, you know, it's your next door neighbour. I am right there, you know, at the end of the day. I don't have to go to Westminster for, for, for things. I have to speak to my MP right here. So I think it's issues like those and um, just jumping on the bus. You know, if we're talking about transport, mm. it's it's those are all human rights, I should be able to get transport that takes me to and fro, um, the city centre, you know, and, and I should be able to afford that. If we're talking about hitting, I should be able to have enough hit in my home. You know, we can't have older people um, being on buses and to, to keep warm and trying to go to a shopping centre just to keep warm. That is just not right. I don't know what kind of society we're building. And it scares me when I hear such things on the radio where um, an elderly person needs to be on a bus and a, 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 a civil servant or a minister comes on and say, um, yes, we're ensuring that all elderly people have bus passes so they can be on the buses. 
whose mother or grandmother is supposed to be on a bus because of warmth? That shouldn't be. What kind of a society are we building? We can't have that. It shouldn't be. In whose name are we doing this? We can't have that. And uh, people should be able to have homes that are warm enough. There should be some kind of provisions for people to be able to be in their homes and be comfortable enough in their homes. They shouldn't be wearing coats. In, nobody should be wearing a coat in their house because they can't afford heating. It's just not right. We need to be able to talk about these issues and also ensure that people are taken care of. That's the kind of society that we should be living in. That's very strongly linked to your discussion of human rights and equality uh, here. There's two themes really stand out in that. That one is around social and economic rights mm -hmm. considerations, you know, housing being one of them, but also around questions of immigration as well. And I suppose in, in both those areas, what's emerging from Westminster, particularly post-Brexit, is really quite concerning, would you say? Um, for lack of a word, better word, I'd say that's stinking. It's just stinking. Um, somehow we have decided that immigration should be hostile. Well, Westminster decided that it was going to be hostile. That hostility was preached in such a way that um, it's really got to a point where even Northern Ireland has taken up on this. I look at um, Scotland and I think they're doing brilliantly. You know, Nicola Sturgeon just puts her foot down and says, no, it's not happening. And yet in Northern Ireland, you turn around and you see people being accommodated in, in, in prisons. You know, it's called hotels, but people are in prisons. You know, people are being given one meal a day and they're being given moulded bread and they're being given food that is not cooked properly and we see this in the media you know sometimes we blame the media for always um, putting out wrong messages and then when the media actually puts out messages that should shock us I think we've become so we've become so numb and I don't know if the numbness comes from the fact that we're all just fighting our own little from our own little corners to survive. But it's become okay f to see that um, people seeking refuge are living like rats in squalor. You know, it's just wrong. We can't have that. And uh, if you look at it, you see comments of people saying, oh, I'd love to live in a hotel. People that are living in those hotels are not living in hotels. It's not it's not even supposed to be a hotel. As soon as um, people seeking refuge were put in those hotels, everything changed. The way that they, um, they service the hotels, if I may say, is completely different. You can't expect a mother with her children to live in a small room all day, in a small room, a tiny little room, for months on end. You know, you can't expect that. Nobody should be expected to live that way and also be told that, Breakfast is served at five, five o'clock. Where do you want me to go at five o'clock? I, in my own place, do not wake up at five o'clock and have breakfast, you know. And this is what people are being um, expected to do. And society is just going on, you know. It's like, it's all right. Yeah, we know they're there. But yeah, it doesn't affect us, you know. We've become so numb in, in such a way that we think it's okay. But there's a people that at some point will be 
brought into our society? What kind of society are we building? Are we expecting the same people to be mentally um, ready to join our society and actually contribute to our society? You know, there's so many mental ill health in these hotels. And guess whose pocket it hits? It hits our pocket because people seeking um, refuge still use the same NHS hospitals that we treasure so much. We're talking about our NHS. We're talking about our healthcare system, which is brilliant. But if we continue to overload our system, it will come back and it will bite us. Because if you keep a, keep a person in that small little room for years, you know, because nobody knows how long, you know, for years, what are you expecting? Are you expecting a fully fledged adult to come and just join the economy and participate in, a, in an economy? That's just expecting miracles. It's not going to happen, you know. Um, and then tomorrow we'll turn around and say, these are benefit scroungers. But no, we've built a society of people that cannot sustain themselves. We are building a society of people that will need to actually get help from the government because they can't work anymore. They have lost all skills. They have no idea how to. Next thing, they move from there to the hostels. Then they, they sit in the hostels for a very long time. And we continue to be bitter and full of hate because of what we're seeing. And we're thinking that money could be going somewhere else. But we allowed for that to happen. We allowed for that to continue in our name. And we, we allowed for it. We saw it happening in the beginning. Could have nipped it in the butt. Could have allowed for people the right to work. I mean, how many other European countries are doing this? The right to work is just a small thing that you may think, do you know what? Yeah, what right to work? But it gives somebody their dignity. It is the dignity that you're giving to somebody to say, listen, here, go and get a job. Take care of yourself. Do not live on a fiver a day. That's exactly what you're doing. You, and you're taking it away from government um, money, you know, because you're allowing for that person to actually participate in the economy, participate in society and work for themselves, work for their families and actually participate. And they don't need to be on benefits after that, you know, they just participate in like a fully, fully fledged human being that somebody is supposed to be. So really a sh shocking human rights uh, picture that's emerging and also a government that seems intent on really continuing with this trend, you know, and, and building on these sorts of policies. Well, um, <laughs> thing is, our government is not being held accountable for all these human rights atrocities, because to me, that's what it is. Um, if you say this will um, stop people from coming to the UK, but you you can't prove it. You know, the next day you've got people still dying on, on dingies and everything. Um, and you, you continue to try the same old um, rule of making people live in a hostile, you know, creating a hostile environment. And yet that hostile environment is not giving you any fruits. It's, I just think... We're expecting um, miracles, you know, we're expecting a different output, yet what we're putting in is the same all the time. It's just madness, you know, it's not going to happen. So what the government needs to do is create clear pathways, you know, a clear routes for people that are seeking refuge. I know people, you know, it's, it's a bit controversial and people think we've taken in a lot of refugees. We're taking in a lot. If you look at other countries, 
they take way more than um, way more than the UK, and they're doing fine. Um, we just need to look after the next person because we don't know what tomorrow holds. At the end of the day, we can wake up in 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 war. I think Ukraine has proved that Ukraine did not. Uh, they didn't see themselves waking up in a war zone, but look at where they, where we are now. So. We never know what tomorrow holds. We need to be human enough to treat the next person the way we want to be treated. So we mentioned earlier about the idea of a sh- the shared island initiative yes. and what's happening in terms of the Irish government mm-hmm. promoting this sort of framing of a shared island. I suppose mm-hmm. there's two elements to, to that mm-hmm. in terms of one question would be, what do you think of this sort of framing of a shared island? Mm-hmm. But also, you know, the question that you know, minority ethnic communities on the island of Ireland now would say that, you know, there's a hard border on the island of Ireland already now. Um, issues of racial profiling, for example, that are happening now. You know, how how would how would you respond to that? How, you know, how can that? How does that work within the sort of shared island framing that that, that people are discussing at the moment? It's interesting, um, Colin, because. Um do you know what? And as much as we're talking about a shared island, first of all, we're not including ethnic minorities in this shared island conversations, as I mentioned earlier. Um, very pe- few people are actually stopping and saying, wait a minute, there's somebody else missing in this shared I- island um, conversation. You know, very few people are doing that. But then again, you kind of stop and think, hmm, maybe this shared island is not even for me, you know? Mm. <laughs> but it is for me. I live here, you know? Um I just need to have a voice in it, you know, because at the end of the day, I am affected either way. You know, um, I live here. I need to make sure that this shared island has a, a, a spot for me. What will my healthcare look like in this shared island as a black woman? What will it look like? Um, what does it mean? What does it mean <laughs> um, for my accommodation in this shared island? Nobody's saying anything about that. As a migrant woman, where do I stand? You know, if we're talking taxis or whatever it is, you know, what will happen? Mm. I have no clue and I'm sitting here, you know. Um, I think these are conversations that, that need to be inclusive. Yes, the whole issue of a shared island is is interesting because we're talking about it, but... What does it mean for somebody who has no right to cross over to the South at the minute? I'm one of those people. If I need to go to, to, to Ireland, I need to apply for visa. I just went to Greece last week and it was a hassle to get a visa just to take a flight from Dublin. You know, it, it was such a hassle. And at some point I just thought, OK, maybe I just need a, a, to change my flight, you know, and we were going down to Greece uh, as a group and... Um, I was like, okay, I'm going to change my flight. It's becoming such a hassle to actually get a visa just to go into Dublin, to take a flight from Dublin. Um, ethnic minorities, black people get stopped on a, you know, on a bus. They, it, racial profiling has been going on for a while. So when people say um, there's going to be a hard border, um, we don't want this conversation, we don't want this, uh, there's going to be a hard border, I sit and think there's always been a hard border for me. <laughs> what are you talking about? You know, if I need to go to Donegal or wherever, I need to think twice. You know, I need to think about uh, my rights, the legal, what does it mean legally for me to actually cross over, you know. And unfortunately, people that are privileged don't think about that. 
And um, people, some people are not aware of it, of course. But this is an everyday thing for some of us. You know, you kind of have to think, okay, uh, that visa I applied for to go into Dublin has expired. You know, so I can't go. I need to do something else. Um, those are things that we need to consider. Will this shared island mean, you know, that I continue to do that? Will I still need a visa to go fly from Dublin? Will I not need a visa? How are these things going to change? So I would love question those questions answered in this beautiful shared island that is going to be. <laughs> That's a fantastic challenge to even some of the language that's used around these discussions in the here and now and the things that, that, that people are almost assuming that, that do need to be challenged from a human rights, equality and inclusivity context. Okay. And you'll be glad to hear this is the, the, the final question and really just <laughs> keen to know, th unfair question really about the future, but I'm keen to hear people's sort of hopes and aspirations for the future as well, that if, if we were having this conversation in 2030 or in 10 years time, you know, knowing what we know now and the discussions that we've had today, what do you think might have changed? But I suppose ultimately, what do you hope would have changed if we were having this conversation in 2030? Wow. <laughs> um, well, it would be brilliant to, sit, to look back in 2030 and see um, Northern Ireland or Shared Ireland or whatever it's going to be called or named by then, um, a place that is inclusive, a place where being black does not mean you fight for equality every day in any space, a place that is representative. Um, I know yesterday um, we, well, is it today? I'm thinking yesterday. Today we, we got an, 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 well, an Indian prime minister, which is something that we probably, most of us didn't see coming. Um, in as much as, to me, it's a bit tokenistic, because if you look at Rishi, he's rich, he's, you know, he doesn't even know what, how um, being poor or what it's like to be from a working class community. You know, he's got no idea. And um, this is a man that took away the 20 pounds from people when they mostly needed it, you know. Um, so to me, in short, um, I'll stop ranting about politics. <laughs> um, to me, he doesn't really count. He's, he's a tick box. He, it's a tokenistic type of thing. Uh, but um, I don't want to take away the fact that he's a person of colour. It's a very big step. Um, it's just a big step in a different way. I don't know how to frame that. I would have loved somebody who is really open-minded, somebody who knows what um, working class communities are going through and what it's what it is when we, when we're talking about deprived communities and why people are on the benefit system when they go on the benefit system and they don't try and take that safety net away from people. That's what I would like to see in future. So um, just thinking about 2030, I would like to see a society um, that will not be racist, one thing for sure, because Northern Ireland is very racist and we say Northern Ireland is racist and there's people that say, what, what are you talking about? It is racist. And we need to be a society that acknowledges that Northern Ireland is racist and do something about it. Um, we need to be, I think I've already said, we need to be inclusive of everybody. It should be a place 
that allows for everybody to be, whether you are Protestant or Catholic, you should be free to be that, to be Protestant or Catholic or other. <laughs> uh, and, and, and just live in a society that wants the best for the next person and for, for all of us. You know, when we're talking about gliders, one should not be afraid to go from the north to the east to the west. And, you know, it should be a simple thing for everybody. It should be a society that is accepting of everybody's rights. And I still say, if we base everything on people's human rights, we cannot go wrong. And I, I'm hoping whoever is um, our leader, even in, 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 in back, I mean, then, you know, if we look forward, I'm hoping our leaders will take that into account in everything that we do. What a fantastic way to uh, end our podcast today. I'd like to thank you so much, Sipo. Very much appreciated for taking the time uh, to talk to us today. And really just to wish you all the very best in your ongoing work and advocacy and activism for human rights and equality. Thank you so much. Thank you, Colin. Appreciate it. (laughs) 